Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show about natural disasters, how you prepare for them and how people across the Pacific have survived them. Each week we work with local reporters so they get it. They understand what everyone is going through during a disaster. Today we check in to see how Vanuatu is coping after being hit by two cyclones in the space of a week back in late February. Also, you might have heard about the ICJ or International Court of Justice or an advisory opinion. Yeah, it's all heavy stuff, but it's actually really important. We'll unpack it all and try to work through what it means for countries right across the Pacific. And clean water, something that you might take for granted, but when you don't have it, it becomes very clear just how important it really is. One Tongan community now has access to clean water. We'll take you there to find out more. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. See, all the signs are coming. So we have to prepare. Be prepared. Pacific prepared. In late February, Vanuatu was hit by tropical cyclones Judy and Kevin. The cyclones affected power, clean water supplies, food and shelter, basically all the essentials. Now things are starting to look and feel a little bit more normal, even though it was a struggle for a lot of the communities for a long time. Pacific Prepared and freelance journalist Florence Fenua is based in Port Vila, and she's been on the ground the entire time to give us a better idea of how things are looking. In the streets, no, uh, everything has been cleared. All the roads are cleared. Uh, last week I went to Tana, and yes, all roads are cleared because I went to the remote areas in Tana Island and all our roads are all cleared. No more debris or anything lying, blocking the road. All of them, are, all, all the roads are all cleared now. So yes, and operating normally along our streets. What were the biggest challenges for you and, and communities in Vanuatu directly after Tropical Cyclone Kevin and Judy? Thank you. I think one of the... Some of the big, biggest challenges that people face straight after the cyclone, which is some of our priority needs for the people in urban, like in Port Fila and in the remote uh, communities around Efade Island and its offshore islands, as well as Tana and its outer islands. The main priorities that people need and face challenges with is uh, clean drinking water and uh, food in the garden because most of the gardens have been destroyed, especially on Evade and Tana, and uh, people really need food straight after the cyclone. And 
uh, shelter is one of the main priority needs that people face challenges with straight after the cyclone, like many of the homes, their roofs have been damaged. So people were uh, staying in evacuation centers just after the cyclone. But once the response activities from the government started happening, then people were able to get um, shelter kits like double ends, and then they were able to go back home and cover up their roofs. Yes, that are some of the main priorities that I see people need on the ground in the communities, in the affected areas. And uh, when I was going around with the distribution teams, I heard from actually from people on the ground. What was your experience with the cyclones, uh, Florence? Where were you when, well, I guess there's been two to deal with, but when Kevin and Judy came through Vanuatu, where were you and what were you doing at the time? So when Judy came, I was at home because it was during the day. I was uh, staying inside my house with my uh, cousin, my sister, was with me at the time and we were uh, just inside our house. I was lucky that uh, the, the room that I was renting is uh, strong. It has not been damaged by the cyclone. So, yes, I was safe in the house with my big sister. And, and what was that actually we like had... when the storm hit you too? Judy was um, frightening, but not so frightening because it's during the daytime, so I can see how the wind is going and where it's coming from. And I can, I stand, uh, I was looking out, out, the, out, out my window and observing the wind, so it was okay. I can see the debris flying and all that. But during Kevin, it comes. Uh, it came in the in the evening, and we couldn't see anything. There was smoke, like there was smoke. We can the the rain, the cyclone paints with it with the rain, so we cannot see anything. And the place was so dark. All the the power was cut. All the lights were off, and. It was it was frightening. The uh, cyclone Kevin was very frightening because it was stronger than cyclone Judy. It didn't blow off the roof of my house. My house, I was it was I was safe in the house, but I was just scared when hearing the sounds from the wind and hearing it tearing off other people's houses. And what about you personally? How long did it take you to get back to? Um, some some sort of sense of normality because obviously you're a freelance journalist. You need to be out in the field and, and recording and reporting on on stories, including the cyclones. But I guess that was made difficult with you know communication challenges at the time. Yes, Fred. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, it took me, I think, two weeks or three weeks. Three weeks, around three weeks that. Uh, my power, electricity was back at my house because the power was cut so I couldn't do anything, any reporting. Um, I was, I have, I also have another job that I was lucky to use their uh, operation center to do some work, but it was very busy. So I couldn't do much of my freelance work. Do you think that people are 
back on their feet as much as they can be, um, and and, and I guess expected to be for four or five weeks after these two, you know, quite large and, and significant cyclones went through Vanuatu. In yes, in general, at the moment, I can see that uh, people are, you know, coming back to normal. They're coming back to their normal activities. Uh, all the, in Port Vila, especially where I'm staying, the power is now back. Most of the power, especially in the urban center, in the urban area, as well as some residential area around main Port Vila town, is back now. So people are starting to go back to their normal lives. And in Dana, when I went there last week, I can see that people are starting to to go back to their normal um, doing gardening, yes. There is there's also food. They they are there's straight after the cyclone, people were uh, taking food from the leftovers leftovers from the cyclone. But now, uh, from what I've seen from the uh, food and security food food and security master, they've been going around um, distributing food to. People who, have, who are affected by the two cyclones. So I think people now have, have enough food. Do you feel like Vanuatu communities were prepared for a disaster of this sort of scale to happen? Thank you. Yes, to me, from my observation, because I have also experienced cyclone bomb in, back in 2015. And I can see that from these two cyclones, the people uh, are aware, like they are. They're on alert. They're prepared because compared to cyclone bomb, we have we have uh, some deaths during cyclone bomb. But during these two cyclones, there was no uh, reports of any deaths. Yes, there was no reports of any deaths. So I, from my observation, generally, I think people are uh, well aware once they they know that. When there is a cyclone season, they know that we are going to experience stronger cyclones. So it's good that we prepare our houses and all that. So I can see just when before the cyclone came, people were preparing the houses. So when the cyclone came, there was there was damage to the houses, but there was no lives lost during that time. So it was a good sign that people are starting to realize that uh, we are going to continue to face stronger cyclones from now on into the future. Yes. Florence Fenua, a Pacific prepared and freelance journalist based in Port Vila in Vanuatu. I should say that Florence did an outstanding job covering the cyclones, especially given all the things that she had to deal with after they passed through Vanuatu. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific prepared. I wonder if you've heard about the International Court of Justice, or ICJ as it's also known. It's been talked about in the Pacific for a while now. But what is that? It's actually related to a story that started with some students a few years back now in 2019, when they had an idea. They wondered if someone would recognise climate change as a violation of human rights. And to do that, they needed to go to the International Court of Justice. The advisory opinion is not a, a litigation case. It's not like governments in the Pacific trying to sue the rest of the whole world or something like that. Court can also provide guidance in terms of advices. The advisory opinion, as it says, is just an advice from the court. 
So what the court is trying to do here is not not trying to uh, give or make new law, uh, new international law, but rather just to clarify what are existing laws and practices in international community that has an obligations that must be respected by all states, all UN member states. Priyanka Srinivasan from ABC's Pacific Beat has this story. State of emergency has been declared in Vanuatu. In late February, Vanuatu was hit by two cyclones, just a couple of days apart. The first storm, Category 4 Cyclone Judy, is being followed by Cyclone The Kevin. southern islands of Tafia province were hardest hit. It's not the first time a Pacific country has been through a devastating disaster. There was Cyclone Pam in 2015. tore these Pacific islands apart. Winston in 2016. The islands of Fiji in the South Pacific are being battered by the... Gita in 2018. Powerful Category 4 cyclone tore roofs. And in 2020, Martin Vurubavuru's home island of Malo was flattened after Cyclone Harold struck. When the cyclone came, we were left with nothing. We no longer had a house that was standing. I was so scared. My baby was too. He started crying. The wind was so strong. People in the Pacific are experiencing more extreme and more frequent natural disasters, often put down to the effects of fossil fuel emissions on global weather patterns. And victims of these disasters in the Pacific want larger countries to do something about it. Instead of polluting the world, they should try and protect our planet because we're the ones who are facing the consequences of this pollution. Now there's a chance for Vanuatu to put pressure on countries to consider the harms caused by climate change. Its government is leading a bid to get the International Court of Justice to clarify just how existing laws can apply to global warming. It all centres on this one idea posed by law students in Vanuatu in 2019 who launched the ICJ bid. The climate crisis is really undermining our people's ability to enjoy and exercise to the full extent, the basic human rights. Solomon Yeo and his friends at the University of the South Pacific wanted to get climate change to the world's highest court so they could get answers to questions like, what does human rights law have to say about things like sea level rise? Do we have a legal duty to protect future generations? And who is responsible for disasters caused by climate change? We decided that it's a time that we as young students who will eventually inherit this region from our leaders, find meaningful solutions. Therefore, we, we believe that through an advisory opinion, to seek clarity before the International Court of Justice, the world's highest court, to help guide governments, clarify what are the obligations they have to protect the rights of the current and future generations from the adverse effects of climate change. The ICJ, sometimes called the World Court, isn't like a national court that can prosecute people, send them to jail or fine them. Rather, it acts like a mediator between countries, helping settle disputes between states and define international law on a given issue. And one of the ways it does that is by issuing advisory opinions. So I think it's important at the outset to note the difference between advisory opinions and judgments on contentious cases at the International Court. Professor Margaret Young is an expert in international law at the Melbourne Law School. So judgments are binding on parties. They, they lead to specific orders, like we saw in the whaling case that Australia brought against Japan a few years ago. Advisory opinions, on the other hand, are requests from United Nations organs like the General Assembly for advice on legal questions. 
So they're supposed to guide those organs in how they respond to issues. So advisory opinions are not intended to be binding on states, but they give important guidance. And that guidance, though non-binding, can lead to real-world impacts. Take, for example, a 1975 advisory opinion on the sovereignty of Western Sahara in Africa. In 1975, Australia didn't participate in that advisory opinion, um, but subsequently that opinion was cited by our High Court in the landmark Mabo decision of 1992, which found Terra Nullius to be a legal fiction in Australia, leading to you know massive changes to the law. Um, so you know here we had a, an advisory opinion from the International Court of Justice considering issues of Terra Nullius, which subsequently became useful for the Australian High court. It's hoped that an advisory opinion on climate change could also strengthen climate change cases weaving their way through courts around the world, helping clarify if countries are responsible for the greenhouse gases they emit. For climate change, there is still uncertainty about the content of state obligations despite the Paris Agreement and the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And that's because the Paris Agreement sets out a framework for states to undertake domestic action on climate change, which are called nationally determined contributions. But that doesn't really go into the issue of obligations, especially if some states are causing significant harm to the climate system and other states are highly vulnerable. And those vulnerable states, like Vanuatu, say though an advisory opinion might not directly stop countries polluting, it will be like another bullet added to the arsenal of environmental lawyers taking climate change cases to their local courts. Here's how Vanuatu's climate change minister, Ralph Reagan-Vanu, puts it. It will, it will be another thing which can be used in any court as a persuasive precedent, as a persuasive opinion that can be used. And the good thing about an ICJ advisory opinion is that no matter what court you're arguing in, whether it be, you know, at the lowest level or the highest level, it applies. But there's a critical hurdle, and that's a UN vote set to happen later today in New York. Vanuatu needs a majority of UN General Assembly members to vote yes to its resolution in order to get climate change in front of the ICJ. We're fairly confident because we have the support in principle, of the Africa-Caribbean Pacific Group, which is made up of 79 nations. And the number we are hoping for to get a simple majority in uh, the General Assembly is less than 100. It's 90-something. So we have almost all countries already. Back in her home in Vanuatu, Martine Vurubavaru is still bracing for the next cyclone, which might once again upend her life. But she's excited that today's UN vote might bring change to her and her children's lives. I think it's a really good thing because in 10 years we'll suffer the same things once again unless we start fighting for our futures right now. That was Martin Vurubavaru from Malo Island in Vanuatu, ending that story. ABC Pacific Beat presenter Priyanka Srinivasan with that story. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. If you're hearing this, you're obviously interested in the Pacific, which is why I wanted to let you know about ABC Pacific website. You can listen back to anything you hear on the program. And it's just a good way for you to connect with us.
You can share information, or maybe you're doing something that relates directly to this program. Or maybe you've got some feedback for us. There's also a heap of links on there that you might be interested in, like Pacific Beat for all your news and current affairs in the Pacific. And for all the latest sports news you've got, can you be more Pacific? The easiest way to get in touch is just to search for ABC Pacific and then scroll around to the Connect With Us section. There's a lot of ways to get in touch there. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. Imagine walking up to a tap, turning it on, and knowing that you can't drink that water that's coming out. It can be easy to forget just how important some of the simple things are, especially when it's just there for you all the time. But when it's not, it becomes clear. Awa Island is off the southeast coast of Tonga's main island. It's probably a bit less than half the size. And it's where the residents of Mungo Island recently resettled after the tsunami devastated their home island. For the past 40 years, people of Awa haven't had access to clean water. But now, that's changed. Anna C. Falicono is with the Tongan Broadcasting Commission, and she's got this story. The people on the island of Awa can now drink clean and safe water after years of consuming unclean water. This follows the completion of a project aimed at improving Ewa's water quality, an initiative led by Her Royal Highness, Princess Ladufuibeka. The locals gathered at the village of Betani to witness the milestone as they no longer consume unclean water. Speaking at the program, Her Royal Highness Princess Lantufu Beka says water is a symbol of life and therefore everyone must act together to ensure water is clean and accessible at all times. Water is a precious natural resource that is depleting at an alarming rate worldwide and this is why it is essential to be aware of ways to save water follow sustainable practices, use water-saving products, and to reduce and reuse water as much as possible. We need to accelerate change to go beyond business as usual. This is not a situation that governments can solve on their own, and water affects everyone. So we need everyone to take action by making a difference in changing the way we use, consume, and manage water in our lives. We must continue to play our part in doing what we can. The people of Ewa have been struggling for over 40 years with the issue of not having access to clean water, especially during the rainy season. The Ewa People's Representative to Parliament, Daniela Fusimalohi, and Ewa's District Officer, Tuifio Finau, expressed their gratitude to Sione's Foundation and the Tonga Water Board for completing the project and enabling the people to finally have access to safe and clean drinking water. Sione Finefeuiaki, the founder of Sione's Foundation, says this is the purpose of the foundation is to reach out to all people in the communities and assist with their urgent needs. It is understood this is not the first time Sione's Foundation has provided similar assistance as they have provided various assistance in the past. 
The population of the island of Ewa is close to 5,000 people, according to the 2021 census. Pacific Prepared and Tonga Broadcasting Commission reporter Anasiu Falakano with that story. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Uh, cyclones, uh, Cyclone Gita. Uh, that was my first cyclone I experienced. Right. It was, uh, it was pretty rough. What happened? Where were you? Uh, I, was at, uh, I was at home, just with uh, my mum and my dad. And then we heard the radio said that there was a cyclone. So we hurried and uh, got some copper, some stuff to nail against the louvers. Yeah, yeah the windows. Yeah. And you just stayed in your home the whole time? Yeah, we just stayed at our house. I was worried about my families in other houses. So my dad went and picked them up. So we all stayed, all of our families were in one house. And uh, yeah, we just started praying to God to uh, help us. Our specific islanders are the ones actually at risk. We're the ones actually facing the challenges of climate change, the rise of sea level and the hurricanes. Every year we are, we're always expecting a cyclone to occur and we don't know how hard it's going to hit us. And yeah, we're, we're quite, some of us are quite um, scared. It's pretty, pretty frequent now. Um, it's like every year we experience cyclones. So it's, for now, we, just, we tend not to underestimate it, but yeah. We do prepare ourselves, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like a routine now every year. Um, I know that it's affecting us greatly. Um, my point of view is very different from my parents' point of view because back then climate change wasn't um, that serious. Um, and nowadays, back then, they would only have cyclones about like once every eight years or something. But now we have it every other year. Um, for me, I've been through two um, Category 5 um, cyclones. Um, yeah, in, in 2015, my family and I, we moved to Vanuatu. And one month into moving there, we, um, we experienced um, Cyclone Pam, um, five, five, yeah, Category 5. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP, SIBC Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, 
and TBC Tonga. If you're doing some work that's related directly to this program, keep us informed so that we can tell everybody about it. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience to share, a topic to cover, or someone that you think we should meet. The easiest way to get in touch is to search for Pacific Prepared and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. You can also listen back to the program. Just type Pacific Prepared into your search engine and you'll find us. And we're also on the ABC Listen app. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about disasters. What would you do and how will you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. <laughs>